आर लिसनिंग टू द अगस्त्या आर Namaste and uh, welcome everyone. It is a great honor and privilege for us to have Sri Yogadhya Singh Ravaji with us uh, to talk about ancient Indian martial arts and uh, and related uh, topics. Uh, so related to that, maybe a couple of questions on you know what is the first of all how is traditional Indian martial arts and even currently as they are practiced. How are they described in our history books? Because I know growing up in India and going to school there, I don't remember seeing this in mentioned anywhere in our history books. Well, I uh, I have been interested in martial arts uh, since last four or five years, not long. But these four or four or five years, I have devoted a lot of time and lot of uh, uh, my resources and my uh, you can say a lot of traveling has gone into it. And I, I have not come across very many books on this uh, subject. Which cover this aspect of uh, our Indian martial arts, or even the deeds of warriors. Mm-hmm. Whatever is left is uh, whatever is left is mostly in uh, type of folk tales. You can say we have folk tales or uh, some remnants of books. Are there. Like Bhanuvir is not available fully, which is yeah. said to be the primary martial text of India. It is not available fully. Similarly, we have the Agni Puran. Agni Puran has has some chapters in martial arts. It describes in detail how to fight with a stick, how to fight with a mace and a spear and all those things, and even unarmed fighting. So these two are the basic text. But apart from that, I don't think there are many texts left. I would say uh, this thing that uh, maybe maybe with the coming of Islamization and destroying of our Gurukul system. Particularly in the Takshila and the Nalanda universities, a lot of books were burned. It is said that Nalanda burned for almost six months. Maybe a lot of books and the practitioners were either killed or they were burned or whatever they were destroyed. Yeah, no, I, I think But current uh, books don't cover anything on Indian martial arts. Right. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's that's sad. First of all, I think uh, you know yeah. when you look at it. Uh, countries like China, Korea, Japan—they take huge pride in uh, not only continuing their martial arts traditions but developing them further and teaching that to every generation. I mean, we live here in Canada, and we have friends, Canadian friends, who practice, uh, you know, Japanese sword fighting. Uh, my own kids—they study Korean martial arts, uh, you know—and there's there's a huge, huge. Number of uh, different dojos and places that teach karate, taekwondo, all kinds of things. Right? Uh, it is sad and unfortunate that uh, I mean, based on what you mentioned, the the root uh, civilization from where a lot of these things were inspired, and you know, obviously they did a lot of work over the centuries and millennia to make the make them their own, and they've gone in different directions. But uh, where it came from in that land today. Nobody seems to know a lot about this. Uh, it's not in our history books. So, can you maybe speak a little bit more about uh, you know the importance of learning this? Like some people would say, why should we care? I mean, yeah, it's there, it's there, it's not there, it's not there. How does it matter? What is the importance of teaching uh, both the history of our martial arts and the practice of martial arts to our uh, you know our next generation? I would like to say that. Uh, It is extremely important if you care about yourself. It is extremely important to learn it. If you care for your kids, it is extremely important to learn it. 
Firstly, we live in a very volatile kind of world. Beat US, beat Canada, beat India. Self-defense is always a requirement. You don't know when and where a situation might arise where you have to defend yourself, your family, your kids. And everywhere, whatever people say, everywhere, police or army is not going to be present. You have to be capable of yourself first. So martial arts, whichever martial art it is, it can give you that confidence that you can face a situation. It can give you that strength. It can teach you the techniques and the strategies that are required to save yourself and your family at that time. So first concept is this, which is very important. Second, practicing martial arts or anything or any sort of uh, such kind of martial activity. It instills a discipline in you. Because you can't learn martial art overnight. You do... You do need to practice it for long. You do need to do it consistently. Then only you can learn it. So it is very much required. It basically develops character. Learning of any martial art or any workout regime for that, it develops character in you. And thirdly, in Indian case, like we need to know our culture. We need to know what our ancestors practiced. We need to know. We need to know how to perform the heroic deeds. We need to know books. That is one of the main reasons. It was one of the main reasons for me to search for an Indian martial art. I was always fascinated how did this thing happen in history. I was fascinated to, I was really curious why nobody could, could lift Angad's foot in Ravan's Darbar. So there are questions like that. And we need to be aware of our martial, martial culture. The next question is, you know, for me, uh, you know, can you please describe a little bit more about the martial art that you yourself practice and perform? Uh, I have been practicing Sanatan Shastra Vidya. It is, it translates to timeless knowledge of weapons. It is timeless, it is said to be timeless because uh, as like many arts of India, of India we say that they are derived from the primordial Adi Yogi, the Shiv, Mahadev Shiv. Similarly, Sanatan Shastra Vidya is descended from Mahadev Shiv himself. He was the first practitioner and from there this art came to human beings. Later to the Naga and Nath Sadhus, from there to Kshatriyas and this way it flowed down. It is, it has been used by Kshatriyas and other warriors all over the time. It is time tested. It has been tested in the battlefields all over India, used in battlefields all over India. And this was practiced in lot, I would say, till British came. When British came, they knew that this thing was vastly superior to what they were trying to do or what they were practicing. Hmm. So they basically, they decided to totally ban and suppress this art, which was the case, and uh, they did it quite successfully. Bringing the arms act was one of the main points, how they were uh, possible to suppress it. So, uh, but now slowly it is reviving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, Vidya, yeah. No, please go ahead. Finish. Finish Vidya Vidya is the, it is a debatable. I would like my Kalari friends would say that no, Kalari is uh, the oldest and uh, some miles, some, they come up with some other art. But uh, I think Sanatan Shastra Vidya is the oldest because uh, if you test it on certain principles, first to be the oldest, the oldest Indian language was Sanskrit. Sanskrit 
Shastavidya uses a lot of words of Sanskrit, and in our Sanskrit texts, we have a lot of principles which are laid there upon which are used in Shastavidya till now. Second, Shastavidya is just like our other classical, like classical music for our Vedas. We cannot change them. We cannot dilute them. Similarly, we cannot dilute the principles of Shastavidya. We have been using it just as the way our ancestors used it thousands of years ago. Right, and and like you said, you know, there is the underlying unity is uh, is very much present in, and it to me it just reminds me generally of you know uh, the integral unity of the Indian civilization. You see this across so many fields where you know people will debate about you know this is the oldest or that is the oldest. The reality is the civilization is so old that it's it's very hard to pinpoint that this was older and this is older and that is older. Exactly. That's exactly. that is you know that's a that's a fruitless debate. What is more important is to understand the uh, the manifestations of the same underlying principles. I mean, right. the the basic idea that there's one reality in many manifestations. I mean, you see that across you know for our different dance forms, our different music forms. Uh, our different martial arts, even our languages. I mean, if you look at the substrate of Indian languages, there are so many. You can very clearly see that there is an underlying substrate uh, that is very common, and then over a period of time, uh, things have evolved differently. Because at, while India is, uh, you know, fundamentally there is a core of unity and civilizational oneness, because it's such a huge and vast, uh, geographically diverse place that obviously things would need to evolve in different regions in different ways to suit i mean you know obviously living in the himalayas is very different from living in kerala and living works in rajasthan desert doesn't work in the you know the floods right. and, exactly. and jungles of assam so right. it is like you know you have the underlying core and then it's customized by different regions to uh, to work in their own ways so that's way too. Agastya Gurukulam is a non-profit organization dedicated to reviving the traditional system of Bharatiya Shiksha and decolonizing education. Agastya runs the world's first and only Sanskrit immersion online school. Would you like your child to be deeply rooted in traditional Bharatiya culture and yet successful in the contemporary world? Explore Agastya's part-time and full-time learning opportunities. For more information, visit Agastya's website at www.agastyagurukulam.org. Admissions are now open for the 2021-22 school year.